Aaron and I want to start with a really big heartfelt first bite. Thank you. We have been so encouraged by your kind word, your messages, your glowing reviews of First Bite. This has been a labor of love for the last year and a half, and we we are grateful for y'all being on the First Bite journey with us and supporting us because we, I mean, we work full time and this is, this is a full time gig on top of it. And we do it with joy because we understand that the world of early intervention pediatrics needs evidence in it. So we sweet talked the folks with speechtherapypd.com and as a thank you giveaway, we have come up with a, a free pod course subscription. So once we hit 130 iTunes written reviews, we're going to pull another name out of the hat, probably with the assistance of an ever so handsome goose and a bear. And that person will get a free pod course subscription. So over 175 hours of continuing ed plus 19 new continuing hours each month. And there's a new episode every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every other Thursday, and the short course, nine series long, all things ethics with Elise. And that's our way of giving back. So thank you. So please keep the reviews coming. We only have a few more to go, but once we hit 130, then we will pull that name out of a hat. Happy 2020. Thank you for joining us on the journey. And Seriously, y'all rock. Thank you. Hey, so by now, I'm hoping that you've heard about the brand new PodCore subscription that Speech Therapy PD has rolled out. For $79 a month, you get over 175 hours of ASHA continuing education with 19 new episodes a month. That's fantastic. Well, they want to make sure that you also know we have a brand new coupon code. So the coupon code is F as in first, B as in bite, followed by the number 20, FB20. And that brand new coupon code will give you $20 off the PodCore subscription. So you get 175 hours of continuing ed plus an average of 19 new hours a month, all for $59 a year. And we cover everything from early intervention to schools to adults to ethics. So be sure to type in F as in first, B as in bite, and then the number's 20. Enjoy your coupon, or as my kin folks say, enjoy that coupon. Hi folks, and welcome to First Bite. Fed, fun, functional resources for the pediatric clinician. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MSCCC SLP, the All Things Peds SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention, right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, in Cola Town, South Carolina, and guest lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light and hope to the world for the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding, best practice for running a private practice, and all the nitty-gritty details involving feeding and swallowing by interviewing the subject matter experts themselves. We bring the data to you. Every fourth episode, I am joined by the lovely Erin Forward, MSP, CF, SLP, a Yankee transplant who actually inspired this journey and who also walks the wild, woolly, and sometimes sticky walk of early intervention with us. Sit back, relax, and watch out for all the squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. So today's episode falls in the fun and functional categories, and I can hardly describe how much I absolutely love today's guest, Jill Eversman, MSCCC SLP. 
Not only has she personally given me an impromptu explanation about the quickest way to calculate percentages over coffee after, after having literally run into each other on the street, she's also had the fine pleasure of correcting several of my signs. And y'all, let me tell you the um, professional flops I have committed. It turns out that with a quick flick of your wrist in the wrong direction, the sign for ball can turn into the sign for some female anatomy and the signs for nice to meet you. Well, <laughs> um, <laughs> let's just go with it's dirty and totally inappropriate. And yeah, uh, yours truly taught several years worth of families and their special ones, those signs incorrectly. Uh, I still can't believe I did that. So, phew. Um, and thank you, Jill, for loving me through all of my failures. I appreciate you. Um, that is self-deprecating and honest at its best. Okay. Also, um, my sweet friend Jill has stood by me through several state conventions and helped in planning our exhibit hall, which is no small feat. And now this amazing SLP is not only academic and clinical faculty at a stellar local college, but she also guest lectures across the nation for best practice in incorporating American Sign Language into the world of early intervention. I am such a fan of this multifaceted woman and grateful that she has continued to build me up as an SLP, as a mama of a little one who had a hearing impairment, and built our community of SLPs and their families up all to support those that we have been called to serve. So see, Jill, now you know why it was funny in the beginning because I was trying hard not to cry. I love you. Wow, so, that's a whole lot to live up to, Michelle. <laughs> you're fine. You're fabulous. You got this. <laughs> oh, my stars. Okay, so thank you. Thank you for coming on. Um, thank you so much for asking me. You know, I love talking about sign language and, we, um, and early intervention and all things SLP, and it's a real privilege to be on here with you today. Thank you for asking me, Michelle. This is now my my only one complaint is woman, you retired from practice right when Bear like a year before Bear qualified for speech therapy. And I was like, Jill, and you were like, Woman, I retired. And I was like, but you did, you gave really good advice all the way through and you connected me with the most amazing people. So there are some you. amazing SLPs, not only locally, but all around the country. So I, I know they did well, but thank you for that compliment. They, they did. Yes. And um, I am, which, and he started actually at your college. Um, he started uh, oh, yeah. speech therapy over there. Yeah. His, um, those lovely students and um, their um, former professor were the first one to get him, get him rolling. Well, um, great. And luckily, yeah. That was, and, and he's talking now. Good Lord. Can't shut the kid up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now you and I both went to the same graduate school at different times, but same grad school. Well, um, I went through undergrad. And oh, you went there on the grad. A few years later, like 30, you came behind me as a grad student. <laughs> um, not 30, but anyway, yeah, I was there undergrad, wonderful school. And um, then you were there graduate school. And then I went to um, Towson for graduate school. Okay, so y'all were talking about James Madison University. Yay! So anybody Go out Dukes. there? Go Dukes! And we all bled purple because we survived. Yeah. <laughs> so... How in the world did you get into the world of sign language for early intervention? Well, Michelle, I always knew I wanted to work with children who are deaf or hard of hearing. And so in college, that's I actually um, started as a math major which is kind of unique in our field. And Desai realized very quickly that was probably not the right path for me. And I'm so grateful that I had somebody suggest the field of speech pathology. And because once I started in um, that path, I really fell in love with it. I'm so grateful that I'm in this field. So I um, decided that's what I wanted to do, work with children who are deaf and hard of hearing and um, took sign language in college at that time. And at that school, what was taught was uh, more sign to English. So I, that's what I learned. And from there, I worked with um, children as a speech pathologist in a school for the deaf and um, also later as a preschool program in a regular ed class, regular education school when we lived in Hawaii. I worked in the Makai um, Elementary School in our deaf and hard of hearing classroom as the speech pathologist there with a the deaf and hard of hearing classroom. Um, but like many of you have heard me uh, know that uh, my husband's a Marine and so yay. 
and um, moving around, there wasn't always a um, the job that was my um, dream job everywhere, but they sometimes turned into a dream job. So from there, I ended up working in um, public schools and got such a wealth of experience there as, as everyone in the schools do. It's such a wide variety of ages and you get to experience all different kinds of, um, of children and disorders and uh, really enjoyed that. And then I started as child find coordinator and worked um, with the three to five-year-old program exclusively for a number of years. What state was that in? I, I did that in DDS schools, so in Laurel Bay in Beaufort and their school system, and then also at um, Fort Jackson. Okay. So here in, in South Carolina. In South Carolina, yes. Okay. 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 And then uh, a friend of mine asked if I would um, help her out. She had an early intervention agency and needed some, um, had some children who need to be served. And I said, I'll give it a try. And once I started in early intervention, I wondered why it took me so long to get there. So really enjoyed it. It was a great fit for me. And as you know, and as um, our listeners who work with little ones know, um, sign language can be a great tool for children who are pre-verbal, minimally verbal, and non-verbal. And um, early in an early intervention, it often is a really good um, support for speech and language development. Yes. Yes. I... I am so excited about this because I've had so many families tell me, well, if I teach them to talk with their hands, they're not going to talk with their mouth. And I'm like, oh, uh-huh. I will bust it open. And y'all, I did code switch. But trust me, if you heard me when I talked to my family, my accent is even thicker than that. <laughs> <laughs> I was just picking that up, Michelle. Um, yes, we all do that. So, well. You know, I found from one of the parents I worked with, she recommended Signing Time. And as you know, I'm a Signing Time Academy instructor and love the program because it makes it easy and fun to learn signs. Um, what Rachel Coleman is the um, the inventor of that. And she does all the songs, original songs and puts them to sign because she started it for her daughter who was um, diagnosed as profoundly deaf at 14 months old. So anyway, I use that because it does make it fun and easy to sign. But um, I've also worked with many families. And when we suggest using sign language with their children, they also say that somebody somewhere has told them that if they sign with their child, their child will never talk. And of course, that's not our goal. Our end goal is not that we have... um, that we only encourage signs, but our goal is that we use signs to support or like as a bridge to speech and the sign language is, is helping them communicate while they're learning to talk. Perfect. Okay. So to preface today's entire conversation. Okay. Um, I just want everybody out there to know that this is, our goal should be communication. And for yes. some children that is verbal, For some children, that is sign. For some children, that is an AAC device, whether it be speech generating or non-speech generating. And for some children, it's a combination of all of the above. And that's okay. It's okay. Yes. I'm so glad you said that, Michelle, because that was one of the things I wanted to talk about. It's really not one size fits all. Um, And so, so signing is the right answer for many children. And um, but not for all of them. And we also do, like you said, we'll overlap things to see what's best. We what we want is the most effective, um, the best system for a child and their family. Yes. And so that's and what you'll find is that some children will choose. I have one little guy I'm thinking of right now. He chooses to sign with his family and he's verbal elsewhere. Or one little one that would um, sign with me, but use her speech generating device at school. And that's okay. Our goal is total. Our goal is communication. I go about it. And a lot of us out there in the field will go about it from a total communication perspective. But it's letting the child choose their voice, however it comes to be. So we've done, I've done so many episodes on AAC. I'm remiss that it's it's taken us this long to get here with you, but we're here now. But y'all, this is we're here now. So okay, so there's 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 my there's my soapbox of the day. But um, okay, so um, we'll roll right out the gate with our questions. Well, who is a candidate for using American Sign Language in speech therapy? Is it only for the children with a hearing loss? What about 
I'm thinking of my children that have had um, status post-traumatic brain injury or a cerebral vascular accident, like a stroke. Um, can they still use ASL? Who? Who are the people we're looking for? <laughs> I don't rule anyone out because I've seen how effective it is. We sometimes start there. But you do need to look at other circumstances. If it's not an effective way to communicate because of um, because of motor skills, then you know you don't you want to find what's effective. But just because someone has motor weaknesses or uh, paresis paralysis, that does not mean you automatically rule it out before giving it a try. Just like you don't want to rule out um, AAC devices of other types and just automatically go to the least to whatever you think is in mind, what you want to do. Children and adults will both surprise you and you want to find what works best for that client or patient. Um, so like I said, I don't rule it out for anyone to start out with, but it may be ruled out because you try it and realize the child has no interest in it. Child just doesn't, doesn't, it's too abstract for someone. They don't get that this, you know, putting your hands, um, your, the crook of your knuckle and twisting it in your cheek means apple. They need something that is more visual as a picture or they need to hear it um, or, or whatever reason. But some, for some people, it's not the best option. But like I said, I don't look at a diagnosis and rule it out as something we don't at least try. Perfect. I've had, y'all, I've had one little guy who um, status post seven CBAs and he had unilateral hemiparesis on one side and then mm -hmm. hemianopsia on the other side. And so the side that he could um, sign with, he could not see out of that side. But the side that would... Um, and, and a lot of signs are two hands, um, yes. like the sign for more, but you know what, that little, that little guy, he learned how to bring one hand to midline and then would cross midline to reach his yes. that could not move. And I was like, this is absolutely amazing. It is amazing. I was going to give that same example because I had a, a child who had a stroke right after birth. And so um, very little uh, left side movement. And he would take his right hand and cross the midline, just like you said, to sign a two-handed sign and meet his other hand or arm. Or sometimes you'll see um, you'll see clients that use their leg or they use a table as a second part for a two-handed sign if they're not able to use both hands. Oh, no, that's amazing. I hadn't thought about using table or another body part. Yes. Well, yes, I you might see that. I should probably, knowing my history and track record, double check with you so that I don't inadvertently use a really wrong side. Jill, <laughs> uh, expect a FaceTime call from me in the near future. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that sounds good. Um, but I did want to address one thing, and that is signing with children with hearing loss. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, and I'm just as passionate as every other SLP that we want to help those children live in a hearing world, but I'm all equally passionate that ASL um, is something that we need to be offering to more families, that it's not a negative, that it's a language, a true language in and of itself, and and that it is a mode to communicate that children born with, who are born deaf and hard of hearing can access from day one, even if they don't do it long-term. Um, it's a mode that they can access from day one. So um, that that's not an, an opinion that's agreed upon all around the country. I understand that. But that since I'm the person here that you've asked, that's um, that is the um, the philosophy that I wanted to address here today. Perfect. Perfect. I've. I've I've had the pleasure of getting called in to work with some little ones that had hearing loss, but they didn't call me. And folks, I am not the hearing loss expert by any stretch of the means. I got called in because the hearing loss was in conjunction with a cleft. And they asked me to come in to work on like bottle latch and things like that. And knowing what little bit that I do know, and trust me, I've taken several of Jill's live classes and follow her pretty regularly. Um, uh, and she does teach for CEUs and we'll cover that at the end, but she's, well, you got to go see her. Um, also, man, I broke a sweat in the last class, just saying. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but I did uh, educate that 
you know, those families to the incorporation of sign from the beginning, especially when what we were doing was centered around core vocabulary, such as eat and drink, because that right. was what, and that's a high frequency word, core vocab, and something that little ones are really motivated by because um, most folks love to eat. So... Yes. I'm raising my hand. Yes, me. Yes. Yes. This is the this is the course that I wish we had a video camera for, but as I am currently sitting in blue yoga pants with a stitch stitch shirt from Lilo and Stitch, definitely don't want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So then my next question is what's what in God's name is the difference of between baby sign and American sign language? Because like I've had so many families say, oh, it's okay. We're doing baby sign language. And I'm like, rawr, rawr. <laughs> Help. well, there's a, there's a, um, a lot of overlap in the two, but let me tell you my, my definition of the two, um, baby sign, what I'm talking, what I talk about when I say baby sign is the sign language programs and they're really marketed. Um, I don't think when they originally started, they're marketed for parents of children with special needs, but I may be wrong there. Um, but they say you can sign with your child so they can communicate with you before they can talk. But some of the signs are modified to make them simpler. Um, the only problem is that some of the modifications mean something else in ASL. So um, if you have a child, who, a baby, and you want to communicate with them before they're able to talk, so you start at six months, eight months, and um, use baby signs, just the parents, caregivers, and the child, there's there's no problem there. But some of those children will have speech and language delays, and you can't tell who they will be when they start at six or eight months, unless there's been a diagnosis. So um, American Sign Language uses the same um, adult or target version signs with young children that they do with any age um, there when you're teaching those signs. So what I like to say is um, the difference might be uh, what some baby sign programs do, not all, and some of them are true ASL signs, but some of them differ, is that um, we really don't need to simplify it because children that aren't able to do the adult model will simplify it on their own. Now, I always recommend that the um, therapist, caregiver, and parents continue to model the adult version, but accept the child's version, because that's just what we do for speech, right? If you say um, to someone, to a child, do you want a cracker? And they say, caca, we don't start calling it a caca because it's simpler. We just use, we still say cracker, and we accept their version of caca while they, um, until they learn to say it, the adult target model, right? Mm. I'm I'm just thinking of Goose and Bear when they were learning to say fire truck. It did not. Yeah, fire truck. Definitely quickly corrected that because, like, yeah, we yeah yeah we'll we'll get that one. But what I always like to say too is there's there are sometimes it's confused. Um, I mentioned that I was a signing time instructor, um, but the they do a baby signing time. Um, D, they do those DVDs. Those are true ASL signs in that, but they are there are fewer signs. There's more repetition. It's at a slower pace. So it's for children from birth to two to three, and then signing time from three to eight. So those are not baby signs, even though it's called. I know it sounds confusing, though it's called baby signing time instead of signing time. But the baby signs, like I said, sometimes they're the same as ASL, but there are some that change, and they might mean something similar or different if you do that simplified sign for a word, and it means something else in ASL, then you have some confusion and you're no longer um, encouraging comprehension because you sign, if a child signs this and someone knows the other sign in ASL, it may not be clear communication. Okay. So then technical question. Okay. Is there, okay. So I started, I, I was doing, um, working with a little one uh, at a daycare and um, ended up doing somehow or another, I basically kind of took over the daycare circle time on Friday mornings when I was there. Somehow, and, huh? Yeah, somehow. <laughs> and like, I love circle times. Y'all, circle time is like one of my favorite things to do in the whole world. And so we're there, we're doing circle time. And the teachers were like, so thirsty to learn more about sign language. And 
Um, one of them had gone, um, she, she goes, I was thrifting and I got this book. And so she showed me the book, but it wasn't American sign language. It was like Great Britain sign language. Oh um, no. I don't know. Really no, All yeah. I'm saying is they're so different. Okay. So that's what I quickly, I was like, Ooh, I was like, honey, I think it's like, it's like our version of English and like the queen's English. And she looked at me like I had three heads and I was like, no, no, no. Like, like if you're talking in English in England and she goes, Oh yeah. Oh, this is not going to work. I was like, no, this is, this is not going to work. So, but what about, so there's like, like in, in British and um, British sign language, BSL letters uh, from my understanding letters are two all two handed. So the alphabet is done with two hands. Whereas all of our letters are done in ASL American sign language are done with one hand. Yeah. Okay. But then that gets me to the next tricky part. Aren't okay. there regional dialects within American Sign Language? Like, do they There are regional dialects. Um, okay. And so you may have a variation, but the example that is commonly used is we have that in English, right? So someone says Coke, but they're up from the north. They may say pop or soda pop or, um, or soda. And we understand all of those words. Okay. So like, but that's the same. So if we don't have to worry about there being that grade of a difference in regional dialect, but it's not impact. Right. Just think of it as a, a spoken dialect and it's not like another language. Okay. I've always wondered about that. <laughs> that's a good question. But American Sign Language was invented in 1817. So talk about not having a lot of communication across the country, let alone having other countries join in and have the same signs. So um, it, there is, it is a little more regional, but it's more standardized now. Um, but it was very regional. Okay. All right. Whew. But when you talk about the British Sign Language, um, uh, American Sign Language is much closer to French Sign Language because of the influence of um, those who started it here. And I always say his name wrong because I, I studied French in high school, but I still do it C-L-E-R-C and I say clerk, but that's not, but Laurent Clerc is uh, my massacred way of saying his name. Dr. Um, Gallaudet, Thomas Hopkins Gallaudet uh, found him in France, and um, he agreed to come back with him to start uh, the first school for the deaf in Hartford, Connecticut in 1817, and um, that was the primary school for the deaf, and so from there, some of the graduates from that school would go around the country and open their other primary schools, so then there, there was a little more consistency, but before that, there was a lot of, there were a lot of homemade signs and invented signs. Oh my God, that's a beautiful history, and wow, that's only like 200 years old. Yes. In 2017, when I do my did my presentations, it was great because it's 200 years old, but it's different when you think like, it's 202 years old. 200, oh, three, 203. <laughs> it is 2020. Okay. Get with the time. That math um, major. Thank God you started there, hon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my stories. Okay. All right. So the next question. Okay. So I've had parents tell me that they haven't wanted to use language with their child as they were afraid that they wouldn't learn to talk, but um, would want to sign instead. I mean, even my own brother-in-law gave me grief when I was trying to like, help my niece a little. And, but what are your, what are your, some of your favorite resources to assuage their fears and provide the data to them to support the use of American Sign Language? Good question. Um, I will tell you that even though it's, um, it has not, it's not a, you know, within the last five years, but the research that Signing Time co um, commissioned and that shows that children sign before they can talk, that it supports speech and language development, children that sign often talk sooner than those who don't, um, all of those. So when I talk to parents, I do like to say, and I often don't like give them here resources, blah, 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 an APA format, but just telling them and knowing I've read it, I tell them that the research supports that. Um, signing children who are signed who sign talk sooner than those who don't and it supports speech and language development instead of hindering it um, and so some parents say, think they'll give it a try when they hear that for some parents what I say is what if we give it a try for you know like two weeks maybe and um, if, you, if you still don't want to sign we won't and 
You know what it takes to get a parent on board, Michelle? A lot. No, it doesn't. It takes one sign. It takes one time when instead of eh, 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 and a parent has to guess what it is. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Are you cold? Are you tired? Do you need this? Did you forget your bear in the car? Um, you know, and it's a guessing game for parents. And it's it's frustrating for the parent and the child because the parent wants to understand the child just as much as the child wants to communicate to the parent. So one time they sign the sign for cookie and the parent says, oh, you want a cookie instead of the guessing game. That is often all it takes for a parent to be on board because they want to communicate with their child and it gives them a way while the child's learning to talk to communicate with their parents. I'm, I'm thinking back on my sweet little boo bear and, and his little, cause we did sign language with him first. Oh, yay. Yeah. And he signed eat nonstop. And I look at the pictures of him at two and he uh-huh. had a lot of room. We free, <laughs> so like, yeah, that's a good one. And I have one little one that I get in debate with. Uh, actually, it's a friend that you know, and um, and she always reminds me that she wants some candy, and I'm like, it's nine o'clock in the morning, you're not getting candy. <laughs> but like, mom's like, you know, sometimes we give in. I'm like, I can tell because she's persistent. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, oh, yeah. So you yeah. taught the sign for candy. I'm thinking. Yes. Yeah. Um, I do. Um, wait, what'd you say? Do you regret teaching that sign now? No, because it was a functional communication and I've been able to segue that to, I want eat candy. I mean, we don't have too many four word phrases, but that I want eat that carrier phrase for candy consistent. So, um, it's a high ticket motivator and we now have, um, a couple of pronouns. So like go team. That's (laughs) great. Go. Yeah. That's, and that's the key is, um, just like they'll talk about children or anyone will use words for what's motivating before what's not motivating um, or learn in a foreign language. Those are, that's what we start with. Okay. So then a couple of thoughts, folks, when you're um, um, looking for resources for this, uh, be sure to check out um, the early intervention roles and responsibilities that ASHA has for SLPs. That's a really good resource. Um, they have, um, you can contact them for, uh, and if you give me two seconds, I'll pull their phone number up, but they have a phone number that you can call and actually, actually talk to, uh, one of their staffers. Um, and they have staff for this on how to incorporate this into, um, into best practice. Um, and I think it's also on their, if memory is correct, um, I think it's even on their practice portal. So check out the practice portal. The phone number for Ash is 1-800-498-2071. Um, I do have them on speed dial because I have a lot of questions from a lot of hats that I wear. Um, uh, and then uh, also look at um, your local um, community resources and nonprofits. Here in the Palmetto State, we have the South Carolina School for the Deaf and the Blind. A lot of states will have a state-designated school for the um, deaf and the blind. And then, Jill, there's a really good nonprofit that I can't think of in the Midlands. It just, oh, my gosh, it just went out of my head. Um, Yes, Better Beginnings. Isn't that it? Better Beginnings? Just Beginnings. Beginning South Carolina. Okay, and and they're a fantastic group, and um, they advocate. So if you're working with a kiddo who's going, who has a hearing loss and say they're going to their um, transition from early intervention to their LEA and are told that they are not going to be assigned an interpreter or that they don't have sufficient staff. Well, there's a problem with that. So reach out to your community supports so that you have advocates to assist this family in navigating the um, transition in front of them. Yes, um, and they also just, they educate from birth on and can yeah. help parents navigate, like you said, navigate this new world. Yes, yes. And um, I am a huge fan of working in conjunction with um, an actual sign language interpreter. I'm, I'm a huge, because I don't, I know enough to scratch the surface. Um, and I mean, by scratch the surface, I mean, I can probably get you through the first 25 words, right? And that's it. <laughs> Um, but I'm also not a member of the deaf or hard of hearing community. 
And I really feel like having that person along for the journey to help the little one and help their family. Oh, definitely. Having a role model of someone who is an adult mentor is crucial. Just just like um, we have mentors or adult self-advocates and, and with children that we work with children with other diagnoses. And you can see, look what I've done. Look what I can do. Look where I am now. And parents see that and children see that. Children who are deaf and hard of hearing need those um, need deaf and hard of hearing role models as well and interpreters. Yes. So, um, so yes. So just tiny, tiny soapbox and squirrels that we just chased down, but um, where it is all the same. Okay. Um, all right. So can I switch to the Corvab question or did you have any other resources that you wanted to go ahead? I, I have a lot of resources in the back. Obviously Gallaudet is a great resource. They have some free sign language training. Um, and, and it's, that's not just for for parents of children with hearing loss, but it's also anyone who wants to learn signs. There are a lot of resources. Signing Time has some great ones. You can find some of their songs on YouTube. Um, and those would make it fun. It's a fun, easy way to learn some signs to start with. And there are a lot of resources. My biggest caveat is please um, check and make sure what you're learning is, is true ASL signs. That's the only um, one that is a true language. So if it's um, made up signs or um, baby, some of the baby signs, I don't mean to be negative about that. I'm not saying that's a bad program. I just want you to be, want people to be aware that some of them may not be true ASL signs or they may be a variation of that. And the apps, be careful because I learned some signs from um, a baby sign app um, that were wrong. <laughs> so like, yeah. So make sure when you download an app, um, double check that it is. Uh, one great resource. Um, I can't believe I didn't mention this one, but lifeprint.com and it has free lessons, like 11 free lessons. It has a vocabulary. There's a sign language dictionary as well as, um, fingerspelling practice, a little part in, and, and I believe they have an app, but you can also go on the fingerspelling. And so there'll be a little hand there and you can pick like I went four words four letter words slowly and the word will be finger spelled slowly and you type in what the word is and you can practice your receptive finger spelling oh that's cool yeah, lifeprint.com it's it's done by Dr. Bill Vickers V-I-C-A-R-S um, he's also a deaf professor in California I believe and um, great sense of humor and it's a wonderful resource there that's cool I, I have to say what I have noticed, just like when um, learning a new language, uh -huh. if you ever interface with a family or a loved one or a patient and they are deaf and um, sign is their first language, um, don't be afraid to attempt to sign. It's it, just like when you're learning a new language, don't verbal language, don't be afraid to attempt to speak the new language. Uh, it, you can, we're all in it for the little one that we're treating. We're all that village and those communities will build you up. Just like when you come across a person that's learning English, we want to encourage them to, you know, try out their new language. And yeah. So that's just, um, yep. Yep. Fear. Fear holds us back on so many different levels. It does. Although that being said, the boys are in that Chinese immersion school and I am in over my head as they are now creating conspiracy theories behind my husband and I, because they can now talk to each other and we don't know <laughs> what to say. <laughs> so like mommy, daddy got to step it up a notch. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> that might be my uh, three quarter year resolution for the year is to learn at least enough to understand what they're saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, you go. Good for you. You need the immersion program too, then. Yes, I do because it's bad. Oh my goodness. Okay. All well, right. let me just um, let me just interject though. You know, one thing to think about when parents say they um, not sure about signing is that signing it motorically is much simpler than speeches and signing. Um, children can you know we look at the first word coming around average of twelve months, but Children are signing at eight months, and if they've been signed to regularly, you may see some of those signs back as early as six months. So that's four to six months from when we expect earlier than when you expect their first word. 
So um, there are a lot of positives to signing with a child, and um, you know it is helpful to um, to help the, the parents so that they know that there's not a fear that the, the child's going to be a signer and not a talker. If they're able to talk, children will um, will talk, and signing will encourage them and help them get there. Yes. <sighs> I'm so happy that you're here. Okay. <laughs> All right. Sorry, squirrel. What were your favorite core vocab signs um, that you introduced? And well, why one of them is very controversial. So I'll do that. But like, if you, if they say, okay, give me four, I would say eat or food. And here I am doing them while I sign, which you can't see. <laughs> um, milk and um, the three more. And yes, that's the controversial one. That's what I hate that side. Oh my God. <laughs> you hate it? No, you shouldn't hate it. Okay. I don't, I, well, my problem is in, okay, so let me preface this. Okay. In our state, and please bear in mind that this is unique and every state's interpretation of early intervention is different. Currently in our state, our family trainers are also identified as early interventionists. And they are responsible for doing a family training session one hour once a week. It does, it does unfortunately result in over, um, and I'm trying to pick my words here carefully. It does encroach into scope of practice encroachment into the world of speech pathologists, early interventionists, um, I'm sorry, speech pathologists, physical therapists, and occupational therapists in other states and our much larger states such as California, New York, Texas, um, and the states around them, the family trainer slash early interventionist is responsible for a coaching session like once a month to make sure that the OTPT and speech therapists, the licensed professionals are in there working with um, the family and then setting up family supports such as um, uh do they have the right health insurance? Do they have um, or do they have enough money to cover groceries? Those kind of things. But in South Carolina, as it is currently written, they are actually responsible for basically doing what an OTPT and speech pathologist does. I have some dear friends that are early interventionists. I highly respect them. They're amazing individuals. And then I have come across others that are teaching signs incorrectly. And I mean, way worse than my like lack of knowledge. Right. But, um, and, um, informing families that they need to focus on fringe vocabulary instead of core vocabulary, which flies in the face of best practice. And it's like an uphill battle thereafter. Right. Um, so that's my, that's why I, it's a personal thing against the sign for more because I've had so many be families be told incorrectly that, um, oh, you can just sign more for everything. And I'm like, yes, but once we have more, then you add in the second word, more this, more this. And so you have, you have yeah. good points, Michelle. I, I understand yeah. where you're coming from. Um, I have a lot of respect for EIs and also have a lot of friends that are EIs. And, and one way we try combating that is that I've had a number of agencies and including large state agencies that have, that have asked me to come in to teach signs because they do want to to, um, they want to be teaching correct signs and ASL signs. And if you, if you didn't just like anybody, I mean, SLPs around the country, if who know no signs, it's because they didn't have it offered in their training program. So that's sort of where we need to start, right? <laughs> it's the training programs to offer it, even though we're chock full of so much to learn, uh, while we're in school. But, um, if they, they didn't learn it and you're working full time there, it's, it's hard to find a place to learn it, which is why I really started my short workshops in the first place is because I heard people were making up signs and, um, teaching wrong signs. So I thought, well, why don't I just teach some correct signs and then we'll go from there. Uh, but I'll tell you the reason I do support more in a, not in every context, but um, a child who's completely nonverbal, you can use it to ask if they want, after you give them a few pieces of cookie, if they want more cookie and a few pieces of puzzle, you want some more puzzle. And if you, um, you know, they've read a book and they want some more books, but you won't let them get them yet and you do more. So you can use it in a lot of context. So that's the correct part there um, before they have the words. So that's an early on we're using more, but we do see children often overgeneralize it. And they think it just means gimme, 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 or I want something. And if there's not something specific attached or a referent there, 
then there may not be good communication. But it does give a start. So that's sort of a jump start. Also, uh, a caveat. And I think that jump start. Yes, I love that as a jump start sign. Yes. But uh, as a caveat, if you have a child who you see has red flags for autism or has been diagnosed, that's not a sign I'd start with because those uh, those clients often have shown that they have a hard time once you get them in a habit of do more, you get this, do sign more, you get this. Um, it's hard to break them back out of the habit and say, well, now when you want cookie, don't sign more, but sign cookie or more cookie. And you're trying to make a change in what they're signing. And that may be more difficult to make that change um, for some children than for others. But a child who has no communication system at all and is having a tantrum every time they want to communicate, signing more can be a real help for that family. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you said your first were more? More. I mean, the motivating ones, more eat or food and milk. Um, uh, the other ones I would do are a few of the food signs like banana, cracker, and cereal, drink, water, juice, all done, um, help. I have parents who always want please and thank you. So I teach those early on because <laughs> that is the, we're in the because, town, baby. not because they're <laughs> core vocabulary words, but because parents want them and the parents are just as important part of the team or more important than what I want. So we teach that obviously toilet or bathroom, especially depending on the child's age. Um, you know, you want to start, start with that mom. How many times have we taught the sign poop because a family was potty training? Sorry. I- uh, a sign go, a sign stop, telling someone to stop, um, like leave them alone or stop. That's a powerful sign. sign. Signing jump and seeing an adult jump up and down because you do the sign for jump. Whatever is motivating and encourages communication is what you start with. Um, I will add the only other one that I used that, I, um, that you didn't mention was on. I love the sign for on because so many of our kids, I mean, so many of our kids do get a lot of screen time. And I know screen time is a whole nother episode. It's and a topic. whole 10 other episodes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But when, you have, but when you have a kid that you know that the parents do use um, a lot of um, uh, television shows, yes. I will, I will say, okay, well, this is something that you're already doing. So let's turn um, the TV off. Or let's stop it and pause it. I'm, I'm signing now because you're signing it. And um, um, and then um, and then I'll say, all right, tell me you want on. I want on. Ready, set, go. It's on. Um, and look, look. I love the sign for um, look. Like if we've thrown a ball, uh-huh. um, picked a ball, and then we're gonna look, and I'm like, oh no. Um, and then one. One new sign that one of my families has an um, uh, a deaf interpreter that comes to their house, mm-hmm. um, and um, uh, she uh, the mom regularly teaches me. So I'm picking up like one new cool sign. Great, Captain Nick. I think those are the coolest signs. I missed it. Oh no, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll teach a sign. It depends on the circumstances, but you find what's functional, just like you do with core vocabulary for any. If you're teaching speech or you're teaching a uh, speech generating device or a picture communication system um, or the formal one, PECS, whatever you're using, you want to find vocabulary that's functional and um, and that is meaningful to the client, especially for the little ones um, in there. So I've had a child who did not want to interact but would play with their train set all day. So I would just lay my arm or leg right over their train track. So they had to sign move. They didn't want to play with me, but they would sign move. They didn't care to ask for a ball. They didn't weren't hungry when I was there. And so they wouldn't ask for, for food while I was there. They would probably go for three days playing with their trains and not eating. So you have to find what's functional. So I would just um, sabotage things and they sign move. I'd move right off the train track and they were happy. Get around the track and there I am again. We're signing move again and we have communication happening. I love how you said sabotage. I was taught that that was the failure model, set them up for failure such that they have to use their language, but like sabotage sounds so much nicer than failure. So like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, it is kind of the failure. So you put their cup out of reach, like there's no way they can get that. So it is, but yeah, I think sabotage is a nicer way. (laughs) 
but it it does it does explain it a little bit better perhaps but um so you know there are so those common words that we're using with children every day and you know the family signs the um early signs we do again um sign i like to try to start again if i see the families overgeneralizing and they're doing like more of an action instead of we do this this action again um, push me again or instead of get more of an object and do you want to do it again instead of do you want to do it more and so that we can separate that so if you would say Again, do you want to do it again to your child who did not have a speech and language delay at that age? Then you should sign. I would recommend you sign again instead of more to your child who does have a speech and language delay. Hmm. The the um I I go with a model of eighty twenty even with ASL, um eighty percent core twenty percent fringe, um and then and then one thing that I have found that really helps um. Uh, I have recommended for carryover mm -hmm. because that's where we struggle. Like we struggle with carryover, right? Like home exercise program, right. getting them to, to getting a family or a caregiver on board, or if you're at a daycare, getting the daycare on board. Um, so I will have families film me on their cell phone or um, I'll have teachers film me on their cell phone. Um, you know, of course with, if the child's in the picture and it's with the family, I have them sign consent to release. Sure. Um, but, um, and if it's with the daycare, I just have them only film me in it. Uh -huh. And then it's me acting it out. And I make it um, I make it a little sing-songy or I make it a little silly or yeah. something that I know will get the kids' attention when I'm not there. Um, and I've had, you know, the families tell me, they're like, yeah, they ask to see the phone. They ask look and they'll sign it's really funny because i think where is one of the greatest signs that was ever created because it's a great question word and so they'll always say where shell where shell or like my my nephew called me moo shell granted it was several times ago but like where's moo shell and so like uh, that's great yeah. yeah anything that does it and and i thought you were going to get into what you didn't but that's a great idea is um limiting the number so so some parent families let's try these three signs this week and for some families this one sign for two weeks and it's just adding this one sign consistently as long as it can be consistent um and help whatever the family needs and some ask for more and they need they want more than that. They're just ready to go. But whatever works for the family to expose that child to sign in a consistent way makes for a good home program. And and then the one thought I have on that is make sure that the family's pace matches the child's pace. Mm -hmm. Because I've seen where some families only ask for one sign, but the kid's picking them up rapid fire. So you have to kind of um, show to the family that the little one can do mm -hmm. more signs. And then I've had where other families where the family's learning copious amounts of sign and frustrated that their little one, given whatever the etiology is, is only picking up the one a week. Yes. So yeah. um, it's a balancing act, isn't it? That's what we're, we're yeah. always doing is yeah. trying to see what the needs of the family are and the needs of the child and the client and also um, figuring out how to help them work together as well. Mm -hmm. Nope. You're absolutely yeah. correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we got, we got like, we got like eight minutes left. <laughs> and I have like one more question um, in the eight minutes before we switch over to questions. So what strategies do you have for when a colleague has come in and taught a sign incorrectly? Um, that is a good point. But I say, I like to think of it. What would you do if somebody taught your child um, a word in English in, incorrectly? And it's not just that they're imitating someone's dialect or, or, or accent. That's not what I'm talking about. But they taught the wrong word for it. You would probably correct them, right? <laughs> I mean, you would correct your child. So your child knew the correct word. If a colleague did, I like to be gentle about it. I'm not, in, I'm not the, you know, <laughs> maybe I wasn't with you, but that was a different story. You, so you sent me a text message and said, girlfriend, what is going on? You did X, Y, and Z. And I was like, oh, snap. <laughs> and that's okay. Well, blew my cover. <laughs> um, 
but that's because you know me. That's totally different. <laughs> you know, when I, when I, it may be a one sign thing and it's a mistake. If I see that a colleague is doing over and over again, there's most of the signs. If signs are being made up, um, I just like to gently remind them that if you teach a child to made up signs, they're only going to be able to communicate with you or with the other person who knows whatever the sign system is. But if you teach them American Sign Language signs, they'll be able to communicate with anyone who knows American Sign Language. And that's the key. The key is not that the colleague may be teaching a wrong one. The key is the child. And will the child be able to communicate with a using a sign? Or do you want the child to go out in town doing a sign like Michelle Dawson was doing? Um, doing <laughs> So, yeah, that's kind of the reason. If it was a little mild one, I probably wouldn't have gotten in touch with you. And we have the kind of relationship that I can give you a little text and say, hey, Michelle, you might want to not do that sign anymore. Um, <laughs> oh, God, that's eight years. Eight years I taught this sign for a woman's lady uh -huh. part meeting ball, by the way. <laughs> eight years. <laughs> but but what we want to do is, is it helping the child? You know, is teaching the wrong sign helping them? Maybe short term, they're going to be able to communicate with this one person or the person in the family. But we want a child to communicate with everyone in their environment who can sign or teach the sign to them or go out in public later and, and communicate if they're older and still have a speech delay and need signs. Maybe they have childhood apraxia of speech and the signs help when they when their speech is not understood. A sign can really support that. And if they sign something that has been made up, um, no one's going to be able to understand their speech except for that person who taught them the made up sign, <laughs> the made up sign or the different sign. So really... We're just looking at, we're trying to help the child communicate and communicate with as many people as possible. And knowing American Sign Language signs is the best way as a, as a sign route. I don't mean the best way, period. I mean, if the child is signing, using ASL signs mm -hmm. is the best way to have the most number of communication partners. Yes. And it's a true yes. language. So that's the one. Even though I, I do want to stop here and make this clear. Um, that I do realize when I say American Sign Language in early intervention, I'm usually doing one sign or maybe two together. So it's not the language component that incorporates American Sign Language grammar and word order, sign order and structure. That's very different from English. Um, I do understand that and support it at the single, at the single sign level, um, though. I'm going to say this and it may, may not go over well for everybody, but at the single sign level using ASL signs, you may not know all of the structure and grammar of it, but if you're using it at the single sign level, you're using single vocabulary ASL words so that the child will have something to build on. I, you said that perfectly. And but I mean, that's how, that's how we all learn any functional language in general. You start with a word and, and, and every language, regardless of, where you are, throw a dart on a map, that language you have to start with, well, I mean, heavens to Betsy's, you have to start with, I guess, technically the phoneme, but then the word, you know, and that's, that's okay. It's a stepping stone. And yes. Okay. So um, one thing that has helped me, because this is not my area of specialty by any means, it's just something that I love to do and I embrace it. Right. Um, uh, I strongly suggest that if you are new to the world of early intervention, or if you are um, just starting to incorporate ASL into your practice, then um, reach out and shadow a colleague who does this regularly Good idea. and see how, they, yeah, see how they incorporate it into a practice. Like I've got some kids that when I walk in the door, I don't, they don't need me to sign. I have other kids when I walk in the door, I am signing one word one word utterances throughout the entire session. I've got one kid on my caseload that when I walk in the door, I am, I am helping him work through his acquired apraxia speech with um, touch cues for that and learning from the mother how to reach him in his preferred language with American Sign Language. Um, so I am as much a student as I am the teacher in that, which is that's awesome. I love that. Oh my God, my heart. Oh, it's so joyful. But also 
reach out to your community. One thing that Jill does that I love that's great is um, she has a summer camp for children that have um, that are using so sign language, and it's not restricted. It is, and it's not restricted to just individuals who have a hearing loss. It's it's individuals who are using sign and or want to learn it. Was it three or four years? Or want to learn it? Yeah. Yeah, and you've been doing it for like three or four years now, and 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 I I can fill a class dude, because it <laughs> You're is the best referral source. <laughs> <laughs> but like I love it, and I've seen I have seen that the children that I add this in as a communication modality, or if it becomes their primary communication, they make the most yes. progress. Yes, they're able to communicate, and the speech comes along. Um, but what I would say when you talked about learning it is and how to incorporate it because you're right it's like well how do I it seems to me it seems very simple so if we're, we have a ball we're playing with and we're saying ball every time you say ball you sign ball and we have a little cow yep. and we're doing moo when we sign cow say cow you sign cow and it starts out really that simply yes yes um, and Yes. Yeah. And also I'm going to do a little plug. I'd love to talk another time about using sign language in the school system because it also yeah. research shows that it helps with language literacy and spelling skills and how many of our children need um, additional support for those in those areas. And sign language can help with that. Yes. So. Oh, let's, oh, let's do it for, cause I mean, August is going to be here before you know it. Let's do it for a back to school special. Oh, let's have you come back. I didn't mean to commit to another one. I'm just, I'm just saying. No, I love talking about that. It's another part of my one of my workshops. It's what we do. We we study a book. The two college students when we do that koala camp, they study about it and they learn and they're just amazed at the research that shows how it can it can encourage language literacy and spelling skills. But also, we're looking at early intervention and early communication for, uh, to date. In today's yes, session. but we have to transition there. So, all right, uh, you're you're roped in now, Jill. <laughs> it's it's you're done. Okay, I have to watch our time because we have to allocate time for um questions. But um before we switch to the live questions, if someone wants to learn more about the amazing benefits of incorporating a American Sign Language into early intervention speech therapy, specifically if they're interested in taking one of your courses. How can they reach you? Where can they go? Teach us, lady. Well, let me just say direct connection to me is um, I have an email of Jill. My company is Speech Signs. So it would be Jill at Speech Signs, S-P-E-E-C-H-S-I-G-N-S.com. I have a website and a Facebook page, Speech Signs, um, for both of those. SpeechSigns.com is the website. Um, and before I was overwhelmingly busy in the last month or so I tried to do a sign of the day that's not quite every day anymore but um, I do like to share things on the Facebook page so I have that I speak with Motivations Incorporated a wonderful continuing ed company um, that also that does live seminars but they also do recorded ones so they have webinars and I have using sign language with children with special needs um, or for healthcare providers or sorry I, I might have changed the title, but anyway, um, I do a webinar, a three-part webinar with them, which will be, uh, which is total of six hours, and um, and all of these are ASHA. Yes, CEU yes, eligible. ASHA eligible. Yeah. Also, often have PTs, OTs, educators there. I was, I also love being invited to speak at state conventions. I've been to um, some speech, some speech state conventions, and also the American. Pediatric Physical Therapy, APTEC, American Pediatric Physical Therapy Association of America. Sorry. Anyway, uh, I've spoken to librarians about how to incorporate signs into story time um, and love doing that. So just if you're interested, please uh, contact me. I'd love to talk to you about um, how you can bring my presentation um, to your area. Awesome. And y'all, she's, she's a hit. We have her at Skisher regularly and um, she gives back to our local community um, and does a lot of trainings with um, at-risk and special needs families. And it's just wonderful. So Jill, I adore you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to switch this over to questions with the six seconds we have remaining. <laughs> thank you so much, Michelle. It's been a pleasure. Feeding Matters guides system-wide changes by uniting caregivers, professionals, and community partners under the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance. So what is this alliance? 
The Alliance is an open access collaborative community focused on achieving strategic goals within three focus areas, education, advocacy, and research. So who is the Alliance? It's you. The Alliance is open to any person passionate about improving care for children with a pediatric feeding disorder. To date, 187 professionals, caregivers, and partners have joined the Alliance. You can join today by visiting the Feeding Matters website at www.feedingmatters.org. Click on PFD Alliance tab and sign up today. Change is possible when we work together. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies. Babies.